0: Amen. What a great passage, eh? don't quite know how I'm going to do that one justice, and to be honest, I think I could do worse things than just sit down now and let that, let that speak over you. Um, it's great to be with you guys, as Anthony said. Thanks for your sacrifice in being here. We know you've given up a lot. Um, but we just had a sense before the service that this is a good place to be, um, and that actually God's going to be really speaking to people. So let's just, let's come ready to receive. Um, I'm Ben. I've been at uh, this church, HTC, for about three years. Uh, I live in Battersea with my wife, Amy, who's down the front here. Uh, And during the week, I am a speechwriter in financial services, which doesn't mean my sermon's going to be particularly good, but it does mean I was really excited when this passage came up because I think it's one of the most beautifully written and crafted passages in the Bible. To get geeky for a little moment, if you'll permit me, uh, if you think of the best speeches, so I have a dream, um, we will fight on the beaches, we will fight in the seas. They use this thing called anaphora, which is basically it repeats a phrase at the start of each paragraph. So I have a dream that one day, I have a dream. This passage being written by the Almighty, all scripture is God breathed as we know, is obviously going to be the very best form of writing. So this passage, we see that being used. And it has this repeated phrase throughout. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Moses did this. By faith, they did this. And what that's doing is hammering home the key part of uh, this passage, which is all these people weren't commended for their achievements, but for their faith. It also uses continuing the geeky line it also uses bookends which basically uh, put something at the start and the finish to tee up the opening and closing themes so it opens with faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see that's what the ancients were commended for and it finishes with these people were commended for their faith yet god had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect so it brings us in right at the end and says, this isn't just about them. It's not just about, you know, portrait gallery. It's not just about looking at a piece of art and going, oh, that's, that's nice. That's a nice story. It's, it's like the best art that challenges us and inspires us and makes us want to live life in a different way. That's what these stories are intended to do. And I pray and I hope that the Lord will do that through the story of Abraham tonight. So what is it that the story of Abraham challenges us to do? Well, it calls us to live as pilgrims heading towards our heavenly home, and we're going to unpack what that means. But I'm aware that tonight we're celebrating the sporting success of our country, both in the Commonwealth Games and in the Women's Euros. Um, And those of you who remember the men's team getting to the final will remember there was a lot of national hype, and it centred around a particular song, not Sweet Caroline, but it's coming home. This is my tenuous link to... The football, by the way, I had to find a way. Uh, Now, you may be wondering, why on earth do people get so emotional and so passionate about a few people kicking a ball around on some grass? It's a very valid question, and it's one that's been debated back and forth in our household many times. My answer, which is yet to convince Amy, is that it taps into something much deeper in us, which is about belonging. It's about having our tribe, about sticking with them through thick and thin, and enjoying the highs because we've been with them in the lows. That idea of home and belonging is so powerful, Um, and you'll have noticed it's the theme of so many films and so many songs, and it's a longing that every one of us feels. I'd probably hazard a guess that most people here, London being the city it is, have come from other places. Maybe you've moved here for a job, or uh, for a partner or something else entirely. But that means that you'll probably have mixed feelings about home and what is home, is it where I grew up, is it this place I'm in now? I grew up in South London and even now I have mixed feelings about whether London is home or not. Partly because I've lived in other places, partly because I can walk into a new part of London and be like, I know absolutely no one here, I have no idea what these roads are, I'm completely lost. So all that to say we kind of have this longing for home and... Living here in London can create sort of mixed feelings about what that is. We search for that feeling in a lot of things, good things and bad things. Maybe we think home is where our family is, but then maybe times get a bit difficult or we move away, and when we come back, it just feels a bit different somehow. So we look for it in a friendship group or in a football club or in a political party or our team at work. And often those things are fulfilling. Often they feed us. But they don't end that search for a place where we just feel totally ourselves, totally at peace, and totally settled. Why is that? Well, looking to science, when we feel something, it's normally because it points to a thing that we need. So when we're hungry, it's not some kind of um, error in our DNA. It's because we need food, and we have been programmed to have food. If we're lonely, it's because we've been hardwired to live in relationship with others. So when we have this feeling of home, we should think about what it is, what's the need that actually that is pointing towards. C.S. Lewis has a really great quote that helps with this, uh, and it says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. This longing for home that we feel isn't just a romantic idea, it's an integral part of how the Creator has made us to be and an indicator of what we were made for. And that idea runs throughout the whole story of Abraham and Sarah, this idea of home. I think their story offers us three clues about our home and what that means. Um, in classic HCC style, three Ts, tents, territories, and temples. I actually tried not to write them beginning with the same letter just didn't work, so let's hope that helps you remember it. Um, But all three of these things point to the fundamental truth that we were made for a better home than this one. So, tents. Let's start with this one. The passage says, in verse 9, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. So it's that thing, they lived in tents. Now, what is distinct about tents? Well, first, they're not the most comfortable in the world. Remember, this is pre-glamping, right? There were no yurts or sleep pods in Canaan. So this isn't the most comfortable way of staying. And even today, tents aren't particularly known for their comfort. Um, this one that you can see on screen might actually be in use at focus as we speak. It was kindly lent to Amy by um, Rosie and Ally Jones in the church. Uh, and it was used at her annual Specialist Cheesemakers Association gathering. Um, Amy's a cheesemonger, so if you want advice on weird professions, just come and have a word with either of us. Uh, but, But while you can see that it's a perfectly good tent, Amy would say it wasn't the best night's sleep she had in the world. It was on one of the warmest days, which meant she went to sleep in boiling temperatures, and then she was woken up in the middle of the night by plummeting temperatures, And then woken up again when the blankets and tracksuits that she had put on to try and get warm woke her up again. As another warm day dawned. So tents aren't the most comfortable thing in the world. That's one thing. That means this isn't necessarily about a life of luxury. And I'm sorry to break that to people. That might be hurtful. But that is part of what we learn from the story of Abraham. But it's also, more importantly, about the lifestyle that comes with tents those who saw the 2021 Best Picture winner, um, Nomad Land, will appreciate kind of the, the mindset and the work and the community that comes with this kind of nomadic living that Abraham and Sarah might have been a part of. Um, and I think the reason why that film captured our imagination so much is because it has so much to say to our consumerist culture that we live in at the moment which would also explain why um, two of the 10 most-tracked Netflix documentaries of all time are about minimalist living and also about switching off social media. And that's because we're so surrounded by stuff and choices that actually this idea of tent living offers freedom from the stresses and ties that those things bring. I should say here as well, Amy and I have really wrestled with this idea of home ownership that I know a lot of people will probably be thinking through. Again, it's quite typical of living in London. And it's a challenge loads of us will be facing. Look at the numbers alone. Incomes have increased by something like 22% since um, 1995. At the same time, house prices have uh, risen 150%. So more and more people will be looking at things like that and going, well, what does it mean To be home now, what does does it mean to really live somewhere and be home? I think this passage gives us encouragement in accepting that our ultimate home is elsewhere so that not even a house will fill that need that we have inside and that longing. But we therefore ask him to shape our hearts and our steps. We give it up to him first and then we see where he leads us. But it starts by letting go and putting our faith in the home to come. Now, before we misunderstand, I'm not advocating that we all sell our houses and we go and pitch up intents on the common. And also the people at Focus at the moment aren't part of a HTC pilot, you know, HTC Nomad, the mobile church plant. That's not what's happening. Although if it is, I'm in. Uh, But what it's about is living light and spiritually living free. Abraham and Sarah, it says in Genesis, had a lot of possessions and livestock. But those possessions didn't tie them down. Spiritually, they traveled light. They were ready to move at any moment. The issue can be that when we're not watching, the world can take that freedom away from us. Again, just as an example of of a fairly typical Londoner, and a lot of this speaks to myself. They work in finance, so their job includes a bonus that increases every year. And in three years' time, they get a share payout. They're a recent first-time buyer, so they're locked into a 30-year mortgage. They're also locked into a great pension plan, a subsidized healthcare package, and a load of energy and utility bills that include a severance fee if you uh, leave it early. Not only that, but they've just moved to a particular part of London, so their toddler can get into the local primary school in three years' time. How do you think it would be for that person? It might be some of us here. If the Lord then came and said... Actually, I want you to go and do this somewhere else. Now, I don't use that example to guilt trip. And many of those things can be really good gifts from God. And as I said at the start, I'm working in finance. So this is, this is live stuff that I'm grappling with and figuring out what does it mean to live in a tent-like way in London in the 21st century. But the point is that we, if we go into auto and we don't continually offer things up to God, that actually we can very quickly become tied down without even realizing it. It doesn't mean we should run away from those things, but it does mean we just need to be prayerful about what baggage we take on. And as Libby said last week, um, we should be listening and ready to obey God when he calls us. It's also why giving is such a freeing and empowering practice. I can't do justice to that, now, it's a whole other sermon, but I just wanted to share a really quick story um, about Amy and I and our giving. Um, and I hope this is helpful to kind of to share it in this way. But when we moved to London, um, Amy was studying. I was in a sort of new graduate job. You can imagine that doesn't go particularly far in London where prices are pretty high. Um, and we heard a sermon about giving, and we were like, that would literally, like, cripple us to give something. Like, how much would that... I don't even know if we'd be able to do that. You know, we were literally going from month to month just about scraping by. And so we said, do you know what? Let's just give up something, a little luxury that means a lot to us. And to give an indicator of how middle class and clapamized we had become, it was Gale's cinnamon rolls. <laughs> we were like, right, we'll go a couple of months without Gale's cinnamon rolls. That's what, you know, a fiver a pot every weekend and then at the end of the month, we gave £30. And we were like, Lord, that was a real challenge. That was a real struggle. I miss those cinnamon rolls. But, you know, take that, and that's a way that we could give. The amazing thing was, the week after, uh, my manager brought me in, and she was like, I've got some news for you. Um, we'd like to increase your salary slightly, and we'd like to increase it by £300. So exactly 10 times the amount that we had given it for. And I think it was just that thing of try out giving God and you you try giving and then see how much more he gives. Still sort of chokes me up thinking about it now. He's just such a good and generous God. This idea of living light and being called out of our culture is an integral part of Christian history because before God called Abraham into anything, he first called him out of the culture he was in. He told him to leave behind his country and his people. Moses, who we're going to hear about next week, um, I don't even know, you know this, but, but his name means drawn out. And that was because he was drawn out of the water, but it was, it was a prophetic thing about how he would um, draw out the people of Israel from Egypt. I don't even know what the word church means. By the way, all of this I didn't know before looking into this. But um, it's just amazing when you see these connections. The word church comes from the Greek ecclesias, which literally means called out. And it's about being set apart and distinct from the culture that we're in. So you see, this is a theme that runs all the way through the Bible about being called out. What follows might be that we're called to re-engage with the world and actually do really amazing things that change the world and change culture. But it starts with this first step of being called out. So that is tent living. But why did Abraham and Sarah do this? Bear with me, the other two T's are a lot quicker. Um, the second is territory. Um, verse 15 says, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country and a heavenly one. Now, I'm quite careful how loud I say this these days. It comes out normally when I'm watching England play football. But I do love our country. I love the UK and I support our football teams, and I generally think that the people here have a heart of gold. But I'll be honest, that's been really tested over the years. First, it was kind of looking into our history and seeing actually there's some really difficult, painful truths there. Then it was a vote that, I'll be honest, I didn't see myself in, and I was disappointed about. And then in recent months, whatever your views on it, we have been let down by our leaders when we've needed them most. And most of all, our football teams can't seem to close the deal on a major tournament. (laughs) Come on, the Lionesses. (laughs) Anyway, but this passage has so much to say to those mixed feelings of nation and how do I feel about the UK? How do I feel about my country? Like tent living, it calls us to live with a view of our heavenly country, free of the things that might weigh us down, but also free to love the ground that we occupy and free to invest in the countries that we live in. It helps us cope with the disappointment of football failures and flawed leadership. And it's why that we can sing, This hope will never fail because heaven is our home, as we've sung in recent weeks. Because we find our nation in the people of God and the heavenly country to come. And in that country, there is space for everyone. There is no shortage of resources. And there is no failure of leadership. Because it's run by a king who is fair and compassionate and who rules with justice and mercy. So that's our territory, that's the territory that Abraham lived for. But where does that leave us for this life? Does it mean, you know, we just check out, wait for the end to arrive? Or again, sporting analogy, I'm sorry of how much of these I'm using, but do we just grab a bench, watch the rest of the game unfold? No, absolutely not. And this is where the third image comes in, which is the temple. And the temple calls us up. It calls us to get off the bench and onto the pitch. Now, I don't know if there are any Grand Designs fans in the house. Um, I'm not an advocate of binge-watching, but there have been days where I've emerged from a full series of Grand Designs, and all I can see is cross-laminated timber and Kevin McLeod's face on screen. I also think it's the, uh, the, the hub that HTC doesn't know it needs, so if you're a fan, hit me up after. We'll get that one going. I'll wait. Uh, but this passage... Is packed with architectural imagery. <clears throat> and it's because we're given the image of the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now, I don't know if anyone knows uh, where this is or what this building is. A hint, it's not the projection of HDC after revitalised 250. <laughs> uh, it's the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. I see a few of you got that one. Um, come speak to me at the end. Jo- join our hub. Um, But yeah, it's the the Sagrada Familia. And the, the distinct thing about this is it doesn't actually look like that. Those of you who have been to Barcelona will know it looks like this, if we can have the next one. And that's because work on the Sagrada Familia started in 1882 by a guy called Gaudi, but it's still being done today. Amazingly, Gaudi, who set this whole thing in motion, never actually saw the end product And there's a chance we may never see it. But of Abraham and Sarah in the passage, it says, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And that that gives us a feeling of pain. It can kind of jar with us because every book we read about calling or achievement or progress asks us the question, what's the end goal? You know, what's the thing that you're hitting towards? And then it says, put a plan in place to get there. So we go and think about our dream job or our dream house or our ideal bank balance or our ideal partner, and we pursue it. And maybe we'll attain those things. But there's a high chance that we won't. And the point here is that what we set our sights on determines all of our decisions. The reason Abraham changed the world wasn't because he sat down and made a five-year plan. He didn't sit down and go, what's my dream job? Got it, father of nations. It was because he and his faithful wife, Sarah, had their sights set on the heavenly city. Like Gaudi, he never saw the promised land. He only welcomed it from a distance. But I think it's such a beautiful image that we read in here of him and Sarah looking out over the promised land and just smiling and saying, do you know what, we lived as the Lord told us to. We lived faithfully. And we're going to our heavenly country. The lesson here is, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. I wonder how our lives would look different if instead of setting a 10-year ambition and then just sticking to it rigidly, we just lived every single day, listening to the Lord, taking each decision as it comes. I think we'd be a lot more fulfilled. I think we'd probably be a lot less anxious about the future and why things aren't going the way we want them to. And I also think our dreams for the future, which absolutely God gives us, but I think they'd be a lot more aligned to his. But unpacking this temple image gives us another encouragement. It gives us hope for today and hope for the now, and that is that the temple is still being built. A few verses in the New Testament make this one really clear. 1 Peter says, You, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. 1 Corinthians says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Ephesians 2, which really helps us put together a picture of the structure of this building, says, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of this household, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, in whom the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So that means that what we do here matters because the temple is being built through what we're doing. It's founded on the cornerstone, which is Jesus. It's being built on the apostles and the heroes that we're reading about in this section of Hebrews. And it's continued through our co-building with Jesus as what we do rises to become a holy temple. But like Gaudi and like Abraham, we may never see it, at least not in this life. But be under no illusion, it is being built, and that gives meaning to everything we do today. It means that joyful mealtimes, fulfilling jobs, thriving churches, laughing kids, soaring melodies, and roaring crowds are not just glimpses of eternity, they are part of helping to build it. So three images, tents, which show how we're called out of the world to live as those passing through, holding our possessions lightly. Territories, which show how we're called home to our heavenly country. And temples, which show how we're called up to help do the building work for eternity in the here and now. Now these are pretty big themes, and they've kind of blown my mind thinking about them and learning about them. So if you sat there and you're like, that has triggered so many threads and so many thoughts, I don't even know how to pin them down. Please come and talk to me. I'd love to talk about it. Talk to your connect group leader. Um, but also a couple of resources that I thought might be helpful. Um, you're welcome to get your phones out and note these down. Swipe away the BBC sport notification that says the score. Um, but one is Garden City, a book, guy, a book by a guy called John Mark Homer. Um, my connect group will laugh because we recommend this literally every week. But it's just changed our life, honestly. It's, it's about this city that we're building together and how much significance that gives to what we're doing now. And the other is a song by another John Mark, but this time it's John Mark Macmillan, and it's called Pilgrim. And again, just as I've been preparing, it's really been speaking to me um, about this kind of pilgrim walk that we do, living light and living in the light of eternity.